Good afternoon, everyone. My name is Clark Freilich. And I'm Clyde Goff. And this is the Blocks, Paper, Scissors podcast. In today's podcast, Clyde and I will be discussing 10 things that all tab teachers should abandon. Clyde, how you been? Clark, um, let's see. Uh, not too bad. Uh, survived um, the uh, f- first three months of the winter. Uh, we're, uh, you, we're enjoying a little bit of spring break. Uh, it's been very, very, uh, I, I want to say busy inside the New Palestine High School Art Room. Uh, in room 1214 and uh, next door in Miss Gardner's room. Uh, very busy. Um, kids are doing all kinds of things. But we're getting ready for our spring art show and then the county art show, so we've got a lot of art projects going on. That's right. The uh, <clears throat> spring art show, I just had mine, and uh, it was a pretty good success. I saw the works on the wall, and uh, they're spectacular. I love the artist statements that the children write to accompany their their work. And um, Clark, your shows are always spectacular. The artist statements are always one of those things, especially... Especially with elementary kids, because they're it's kind of hard to get them to want to write. But I've been experimenting with a couple things. Um, more specifically Flipgrid on getting kids to write uh, about and talk about their artwork. And it seems that, and you probably already know this, that kids tend to be more open when they record their themselves speaking or creating a video. I've seen how you've, you get your kids to to work in with Flipgrid and it's really hilarious to see them speak their minds and uh, talk about their art ideas. Uh, and and uh, I'm just thinking about all the wonderful intellectual benefits that that gives them to, to use technology, to put words uh, into motion, to speak the words, uh, to compose sentences uh, relating to reflective experience about their art. It really makes... Uh it puts the icing on the cake, so to speak. So, no question. Um, the 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 one of the important things about authentic works of art is that kids are not just parroting back uh, learning objectives uh, that uh, the teacher has uh, prescribed uh, during an activity, but these are children's you know, real, real voice, real words, uh, they're, they're real stories about their art. And so uh, what I always notice uh, reading artist statements in, in, uh, in your art exhibits or in other choice-based art teachers or tab teachers is the, the fascinating stories uh, that the kids write about their art. And, um, and that's what art is. It's storytelling in a visual sense. Absolutely. So our topic 
that I wanted to discuss today is uh, the things that as we read blog posts and things for new tab teachers, <clears throat> there's always a few things that always pop up and it specifically has to do with uh, new teachers to teaching for artistic behavior. And it, it really has to do with a switch, uh -huh. a switch of uh, how people and teachers uh, are learning how to do tab. And sometimes it's frustrating because having been through it and gone through it, I'm familiar with those feelings, and yet it was easy for me, I, su I suppose, to do it, but, you know, I still find myself slipping back in a couple of those things, but at least I can I recognize it when those things happen. So one of the, the first thing I want to talk about is this idea of a quiet classroom. Before I was teaching TAB or in general uh, education circles, people, they think that a quiet classroom is an engaged classroom. Uh -huh. And in some sense it is. Uh -huh. But it's, it's not absolute quiet. You know, when you're dealing with five, six, seven, eight-year-olds sitting in a classroom for five hours a day, absolute quiet is... I don't think it's developmentally good for them to do. No. Uh, so when they come into the art room, they're naturally excited to be working with materials and paints, and they really want to get these things out. And to have them, again, continue to be quiet, it just it doesn't work. It works against the idea of being creative. One of the things I, want, I always want to tell new teachers who are asking, how do you keep your classroom quiet? Yeah. I'm like, you know what? It's it's a battle I don't want to I don't want to get into. There are times when I want kids, you know, when they're yelling and screaming, it's a time for them to, you know, I need to talk to them and teach them how to self-monitor. Uh -huh. I'm allowing you to talk. You're free to talk, but this isn't, you know, we are still indoors and you yeah. don't need to be yelling and screaming at the top of your lungs just because you think it's funny. I think um, there's, you know, the the problem of the quiet classroom, or I should say, um, uh, it's a from my perspective at this point in my in my uh, experience as a as a teacher, as a long as a as a teacher who's been teaching in K twelve ed for. Uh, going into going into my fourth decade, thinking about the way schools are run, the expectations uh, are unrealistic. I think for uh, to expect children uh, who are in their formative stages of intellectual development, um, you know, to act like adults in a um, in in a monastery, you know, uh, this is that's unrealistic. Uh, I know schools are designed for um, distinct roles, uh, you know, fragmentation of subject matter into the the minds of children. 
but what our research has revealed to us, our, you know, our observations of children learning is education is a very human endeavor. Well, I'm curious where the idea of this perfect classroom came from, if it was from media, if it was something that was brought up through television, through uh -huh. the Andy Griffith show, or <laughs> anyone and everyone I've ever talked to said that it's never really been a case where the classroom's always been quiet. I, I think part of, the, part of the problem also is the way schools are structured, and there is uh, pushback, I think, now uh, and realization that um, the, the school design, environmental design, uh, is not conducive to intellectual development in young children. So, um, you know, it used to be uh, the, this idea of the open classroom used to be ridiculed, mm -hmm. uh, but uh, I think uh, school architects, school designers are taking a second look at the way schools are designed, and, you know, there is a lot of implementation uh, now of, uh, of... Collaborative spaces. Yes, exactly. Collaborative spaces, open spaces, spaces for creativity, spaces for um, unique learning events. Um, the, the old uh, notion of didactic learning where children are uh, on, you know, they are in the receiving end of knowledge and the, the authority figure, the teacher, is on the delivery Delivery end, you know, that's that's a notion um, that I think is old-fashioned. But it took, I don't know, 40 years to figure that out? For policymakers who are in, um, you know, making policy decisions at the state, state houses, the legislature, uh, yeah, they still haven't figured it out yet. But construction of knowledge is an active process, and speaking... And communicating verbally is an important part of that process. So how are you going to develop knowledge? How are you going to develop communication skills if you can't talk? Right. So the quiet classroom is, is a, it's almost an ideal that is not necessarily an attainable expectation. I mean, you can have it, but is it really the best thing? So the things that I use to get my kids to a get busy uh -huh. because when hands are busy, minds are busy. And yeah. if the minds are busy, then the mouths are not as busy because uh -huh. they're too much, they're too busy trying to focus on what they're doing and getting into a, a state of flow. Uh -huh. So, you know, when my kids come into my classroom, now they're coming in from a hallway where the expectation is that they're quiet. I allow them to talk with, you know, not out loud, uh -huh. Use whisper voices because we do want to be respectful of other classrooms. Right. And when they remodeled our school, they didn't take into account how loud kids are. So everything is, it's a hard, clean surface. Yeah. You know, they, they put in vinyl tiling in the hallways with hard walls. And, um, you know, it's easy to clean. Yeah. And it's easy to take care of. Yeah. But it's also loud. It's a very bright uh, school, uh -huh. not not in a light sense, but in an aural sense. So when kids come into my classroom, they're quiet, but as soon as they hit my classroom, you know, they change because they know they're allowed to talk. Right. So, and then I go right into my uh, five-minute lesson. Uh -huh. And I do have an expectation that 
that they are at least paying attention. If they're whispering, if they want to comment to their friends, that's fine. But there are times when kids are messing around and, you know, it's not a perfect situation. But for the most part, kids know because they want to get started that that first five minutes of class is is when they get their instruction. You're the program director and the studio manager. You have some important things to say to them to start class out. And even if it's just okay, you may start, then that's it. You know, once they get busy doing that, then there's always, you know, I call it the, you know, it's about five minutes of chaos when everyone's running around, setting up their workspace, getting their materials, you know, talking to people, trying to figure out what they're going to do. But then after that, you know, 10 minutes into class, there's that hum. Yes. Uh, Kathy Douglas, she called that the hum. And that's the hum right after the transition between the five-minute lesson and then, you know, there's that bit, there's a, the the transitional period is there's some uh, uncertainty about who's going to be doing what. But then, you know, magically, you know, people settle in, you know, the process of emergence. Right takes over again and, and uh, you know the things begin you know children's ideas they begin to solidify and their activities that they've designed for themselves take shape exactly so then they're they're working and they're getting settled in uh, but then there's always a few kids who take a little bit longer getting uh, settled in and trying to figure out what to do um, but still going to be noise. Uh-huh. Uh, you you got your block builders who are typically the the loudest group. Yeah. Um, if you don't like the sound of blocks, then maybe find a mat or something to put on the floor. Yeah. So when those blocks fall down, they're not as loud. Yeah. Because I think a lot of teachers don't like the the loud, sharp noises that are louder than others. Uh-huh. And I think it it does cause a lot of stress to yes. some people. That's that's a teacher issue. Yeah. Um, and I've I've used meditation. If there's something that happens, I'm always take three deep breaths. Uh-huh. And you know just to get over that initial thing, so I can think. So I'm not overreacting when something happens. You know, kid drops a whole bottle of glaze or paint or things like that. Most teachers' first reaction is to yell at the kids. Yeah. And you don't want that. We're here to build relationships with kids. We're not here to uh, punish them for making a mistake. It's it's taken me a while, you know, to to um, to remember that accidents happen, and um, there are some things that you cannot control. And um, like you like you know you uh, you. After a while, you you know you you realize that messes will occur, and um, yeah, it's it's counterproductive to um, to be uh, uh, to react in a negative way. That kind of brings me to another issue that teachers, new teachers to Tab, are always stressing about, and that's huge messes. The whole controlling of materials. Yeah. They kind of go hand in hand. We've we've seen a lot of questions and uh, cons- you know uh, statements of concern about new teachers on on the uh, tab educators page um, about you know letting go and and about that issue mm-hmm. and and, um, and so that that's 
that's one of the main one of the, the reasons we'd like to address uh, those questions. You know, in a tab classroom, as students are learning to not only express one of the big things that we're teaching is how to use materials. And as Kathy Douglas famously says, you know, you give the kids the least amount of information to get them started yes. and then let them go, dependent upon different materials. Uh-huh. Because some materials are more expensive than others, and I think teachers naturally want to make sure that those materials aren't wasted Right. Uh, in the process. Um, I've always caught myself when things happen, you know, when kids do some stuff that you just, you don't even preconceive uh-huh. where, where the ideas come from, but are, you know, are we here to promote ideation and coming up with ideas and experimenting, or do we want to limit their ability to try new things? Right, because, because the, the focus is on the child's creative process. They're right. cre- allowing them you know the 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 final outcome that we're s- seeking is children's creative capacity, uh, expanding it, and, and that's done through uh, executive functioning. So um, the importance of the materials are are a conduit through to which tab teachers uh, refine children's thinking process and uh, and expand help them expand their creative capacity. You know, I used to be a materials hoarder and, uh, and put a great deal of importance on materials. Um, now, not so much. Um, I hate to see when a child will take a, a piece of canvas uh, and acrylic uh, paints and they've, at the end of the class period, they throw it away. You know, if I, if I find one in the trash, I say, you know, we can re-gesso this and reuse it. We don't have to throw it away. Right. Um, so also using that as a teaching moment for repurposing right. ma- because, materials. Is you know, artists, they like to use a lot of materials that they find or they reuse materials uh-huh. that they have. So re-gessoing a canvas is just another lesson. Uh-huh. I know a lot of elementary teachers who worry about paper uh-huh. and wasting paper. Um Papers, it's not a material that costs too much money. It depends on how much paper you have. Yeah. But some people, they use less expensive paper uh-huh. for regular everyday things. Some people use sketchbooks. Some people use goose paper, mm-hmm. which is good on one side paper. Uh-huh. Um, but trying to teach kids be a little more mindful of how they use the materials is another part of what we teach. Right. And having them... You know, work with their mistakes, which is, is a big thing. You know, a lot of kids, they make a mistake. Their inclination is to just wad it up and start all over again. Yeah. And we have control of that, but it's not something to get totally stressed over. Yeah. You know, because a lot of teachers are, oh, you know, they just go through so much paper. And you can plan for that at the beginning of the year by ordering either more paper uh-huh. or having some less expensive paper yeah so i've i've kicked around some ideas and i've tried a lot of things and trying to make it work for me um giving kids free access to paper 
is not necessarily the best thing because that's what I do. Well, you're high school. <laughs> uh, I use I purchase a lot of fifty weight paper, and I find it. Uh, that you can draw on it very well and paint on it just as well. Um, sometimes it gets a little wrinkly. Uh, I'll also have a supply of 60 weight and 80 weight um, in different sizes, 9 by 12, 12 by 18. But the, the favorite material to draw and paint on? Cardboard. <laughs> Cardboard. <laughs> because who cares? Right. And, uh, you and, know, and they, they get down on that. There's a freedom there that, you know, when the teacher is like, this material is freely available everywhere. Uh -huh. And using that and showing kids how to use something that's, you know, available. not everyone has paper, uh -huh. but they can find a box. Right. And they can cut it up or tear it up uh -huh. or, and, or just paint it as is. Because uh -huh. that's what a lot of kids like to do is just paint the box. Yeah. Yeah. There's, or build and a box. That's a starting place. Or you know? build the box. You know, that's you know, going back to Nan Hathaway's idea for scribble stage. You know, right. That's that's a scribble stage in creativity development. Mm -hmm. Paint the box, but you know, if cardboard's good enough for Picasso, it's good enough for us. And in fact, I'm doing some really fun things myself on cardboard. So. Yeah. Well, you so. are. They, that's why they call you Captain Cardboard. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's also because I, I don't have much of an personal art fund <laughs> so <laughs> i do a lot of dumps dumpster diving but i saw you had some really good cardboard out in your dumpster out here i was half, oh. half tempted to make a detour Probably. before i came into there, the studio that, today that dumpster's always full <laughs> and i'm you know and i go through it i pull it's like save me some cardboard <laughs> schools are an endless supply of cardboard they are the best cardboard is when uh you're um maintenance department is installing whiteboards or <laughs> or big you know any big equipment they that's have right to, it comes in card shipped in cardboard boxes delivered to the school and just tell the maintenance folks or custodians hey save me some nice big chunks of cardboard uh, it's on my teacher donation list is you know any cardboard from amazon's good i like their cardboard yeah that's it's good easy stuff. to cut it's not too thick uh-huh so we now we were talking about noisy classroom right but we got now we're on to you know stress over mess stress over mess mm -hmm. and, and stress over materials right but um over time you you develop an awareness of what is what your kids like th they really enjoy painting and they really enjoy cardboard especially and clay but back to um control over uh having control over the materials and, and giving up that stress as a teacher to do some introspection and looking at how you feel at, in noticing and recognizing when you are getting stressed and pinpointing those things. If it's noise, if you don't like it, then that's something that you need to work on. Either find a way to alleviate that stress. Uh -huh. Because if you're stressed, the kids are going to feel that stress yeah. and you really don't need to transfer that stress to to kids because if you're stressed your tolerance level is going to drop uh -huh. and you'll be yelling at kids and it just it's not a good it's not a good thing you don't feel good at, at the end no of the you don't feel good you know so what so what if a kid used 10,000 uh craft sticks 
I, I buy my craft sticks in bulk and I tell them they're not building elements but adhesive elements um, but you're right they you know stressing about how kids would use the materials uh, in ways that we don't ordinarily think are proper um, you know I I would I I have at times told kids you know that you're that materials best used uh, for this purpose, uh, for example, the craft stick, and and even though I've got, you know, it costs a hundred bucks to buy um, uh, a fifty-pound box of craft sticks, this those small, low-temp, six-inch length. Oh, you're talking about the glue sticks? Yeah, the glue sticks. Yeah, uh, and so I've seen them take those and and build with them, and I'm like, you know, that's fascinating work, but. Yeah. You're better off if you use strips of, you know, little pieces of cardboard instead. And so. But so, then it's a learning process. Yes. And when you're dealing with, like most of us, 500 or more kids, you have to take into account that there is going to be some level of waste. Yes. And you have to take into account and just make sure that the kids know that if you are going to not use the materials appropriately you're going to run out of materials yeah sometimes it's like beating a dead horse you, know, you just make adjustments for the next year like this year i bought four boxes of crayola crayons uh-huh. not crayons markers the class packs uh-huh. which is about that's about 800 markers and i'm out <laughs> i <laughs> they, still have nine weeks them. left they go through them they, and a lot of them either because they didn't put lids on them or whatever reason. So next year I'm going to have to order five. You know, I'm just going to have to, and, until it comes to a point where I think they understand it, you know, it, I just, instead of getting something else, I'll just buy those markers. They're hard on markers because yeah. they find out that not only can you draw really cool, colorful lines with them, but you can also make dots right. with <laughs> them. You can... Uh, you know, and then, then, of course, there's our curiosity is to see what's inside the marker. And we'll pull them apart. See, you know, you can see the, the, the ink con- container inside and um, see what, what makes this marker tick. So, um, And I also do watercolor with them. Yes, so. dip, them, <laughs> dip them in, in a little cup of water and watch the ink explode into the water or, or to pull them out and, right. and draw on paper. So just being mindful of those type of uh, those materials that you notice kids using a lot of um, is another way to kind of keep track on that. Now you were you earlier you were talking about you know when you have when you buy something like craft sticks or glue gun or glue sticks or things uh-huh. like that, uh, it kind of triggered something in my head that as an art teacher we have preconceived ideas of what they could be building with them. Yeah. That's just natural. As an artist, when we see materials, we think, oh, I could do this, or I could do this, uh-huh. or I could do this. That doesn't necessarily mean that's what the kids are going to build. Yeah. Um, as an elementary teacher, I, I think of a lot of different ways that I can do craft sticks, but a lot of kids, they're starting from scratch, and so they're stacking them or yeah. making a square and just building a three-foot-tall cube very uh, simple structures right that is a learning process uh-huh. and try you know when you see that happening as an art teacher you need to step in and this is a time to 
kind of probe and see what they're thinking and maybe intercede and say, hey, why don't you try this or what's another way that you could do this? That's that's when a tab teacher would do, like you say, an intervention right. and, and suge- make suggestions and do a quick solo demo or small group demo there. And, you know, you step in and say, you know, here's here's another idea you can use. And yeah. so, so, yeah, we so we're already you know the the tab teacher is already at an advanced level and we already have preconceived notions about what can be used with right. the material and the children are starting from uh from a foundational level that's uh that's very basic and primary and they're like with my older kids i would give them challenges you have your your cardboard or your art trap with your challenges uh-huh. uh challenges are always good because it's something that not every kid's going to want to do. Yeah. But if they see a challenge, I gave my kids a hundred stick challenge. Uh-huh. And I thought, well, I'll just count out a hundred sticks and have a hundred sticks there. But instead of doing that, I just left the sticks out there and the kids took it upon themselves to count out a hundred sticks. Ah. So that they didn't go over the hundred stick challenge. And I just said, use a hundred sticks to build whatever. I had kids who built bridges you know, and other kids see kids building bridges, so they're building bridges. That's that's interesting. You put a constraint on them uh, with the limitation of 100. Right. And that could be 50, but still, it's one way of controlling your materials, right. but not limiting them creatively, say, you know, it's kind of hacking the creative mm-hmm. process, so to speak. Uh-huh. Because given the limitation, it makes them think, uh, they have to think more creatively in solving those problems. Thinking about how we're, we're just, you know, talking about different activities here. Um, also understanding that our rooms are set up to do simultaneous activities all in, in, at the same time. Um, how many centers would you uh, estimate you have open currently in your room? On any given day, I have the basics. I have drawing, collage, painting, construction, or architecture sculpture uh-huh. um, printmaking's open but not a lot of kids use it right now for some reason uh, I have origami uh-huh. uh, which comes and goes uh-huh. uh, depending on the child depending on the child yeah but weaving's always open uh-huh. so, so that's so five or six right there so, so simultaneously you got s- really over six over six uh, cent- learning centers open Plus special projects. You have special, you have like special projects um, that a child might have a, might conference with you um, ahead of time or during class time saying, you know, Mr. Frelick, I'd really like to bring these materials in from home and work on them during art class. And um, have you ever had uh, any experiences like that I do, I do get kids who do that um, and I encourage kids to do that I said you know if you're doing something at home bring it in uh-huh. uh, I, I do I do that all the time I don't think um, that's encouraged enough in classrooms mm-hmm. I think it's uh, something that to make that class or school home connection uh-huh. stronger um, you know, I want kids to be able to, you know, this kind of goes back to how this whole tab thing started. 
with you and I back in 1999 when we were teaching visions art and kids were bringing stuff in yeah. that we were uh, just blown away by. Yeah. And weren't seeing that in our classroom. That's that's when we you and I we saw that the child's identified more strongly with their home creative activities than they were identifying with what we were providing them uh, with a teacher-directed lesson. As you recall, during our first podcast, we had mentioned that, you know, we had a child, you had their work uh, digitized uh, from from their home, and we put the work side-by-side up on the computer, and they were writing an artist statement about the, the in-class work and the home work, the home art activity they were doing. It was, they were drawing primarily. And they, they wrote copiously about their home drawings, their home art. And that's when you and I had that aha moment. We said, ah, there's the, there's the social emotional <coughs> connection. Right. The, you know, their connect, the, their, the emotional connection is, you know, that is the, that's the, uh, the glue to uh, that drives motivation is emotional connection, right. and we knew that it's the key that starts the engine. It's the it's very important that the kids have that, and that's why you know art class is such a an integral part of any school. To some kids, we are the reason they come to school. Right, uh, Claire Bell Baker, the eminent American educator from uh, the nineteenth century, she said. Once you unleash a child's emotional drive, there's no stopping them. Uh, once a school, uh, once a school can uh, marshal uh, the the school's resources, a, a caring teacher, knowledgeable teacher, can help the child unleash their emotional drive in their learning activities. You know that is the pathway where that you want. <clears throat> where you want to have their energies focused. I don't know about you, but thinking about my elementary, Edgewood Elementary, um, the only things that I remember are <clears throat> those things that were that were emotional and those creative endeavors that I did in art class or a school play or, you know, those things that resonated with me. Um, now, I didn't have Sister Mary Euphemia. But <laughs> <laughs> well, Sister Mary Euphemia, bless, bless her heart, um, uh, she was not an emergent curriculum practitioner. She, that was Miss McDonald, well, uh, yeah. my, my, my third grade teacher. Well, Sister I Mar- don't remember Sister anybody Mary. who did emergent thinking like we do no. in elementary. No, because not, that was back in the... Back in the... 60s and early 70s there was there was a lot of it going around because you had reintroduction of uh you know of uh constructivist classrooms and you know new ideas were were going into education in the 60s in the united states uh but not in my classroom mine neither uh that was Um, you know that was pretty much authoritarianism um and it was Ex- externally uh, authorized. There was just a narrow uh, set of knowledge that we could work with and that we were expected to, uh, to understand uh, a, uh, 
and you know this 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 illicit knowledge, explicit knowledge right. uh, was um, uh, there was no. You know, you couldn't deviate from it, uh, which is completely opposite from what you and I provide, which is an abundance of learning uh, opportunities and a, an abundance of knowledge. A you know, universe if, of knowledge. If, 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 yeah, a universe of knowledge. If we could quote our one of our favorite art teachers, Diane Jaquith, art is a very big subject. Well, Clyde, we've hit a few things about uh, these things, but there are a few more that I think we should continue to talk about in our next podcast. Uh, things like um, stressing over switching centers or changing materials in class. I know a lot of teachers are um, concerned about that. Uh -huh. um, assigned seats, you know. I don't use them. I don't use them either, but again, another thing we can talk about. Uh, I'll take that back. I do use them for um, my younger kids. Uh -huh. For some reason, they want assigned seats, uh -huh. but I only use them when they come in because it takes time when, well, I'll talk about that next time. Yeah, that's that's a fun topic. <clears throat> we can talk about that. It's, it goes to the dynamics of uh, of uh, what's going on inside right. the uh, tab classroom. Grading and rubrics, which I know we can spend a lot of time talking about we should we we should maybe get some uh, outside conversationalists uh, to talk about grading and rubrics I know there's you know you that's a that's a very important topic because the tab teachers affected by what the school's policies are and their their own grading structure and how does a tab teacher deal with with those right. limitations or those constraints how do we fit our square peg in the round hole etc <laughs> we can yeah. and we do have strategies to help with that tab teachers are crafty and creative <laughs> we can play the game just like anybody else uh we also we're going to talk about stressing over kids who appear to do nothing and that's the, one that's a good topic yeah. and uh, i've been writing about that topic incubation yes incubation and boredom yep Stressing over art gangs. I know. Uh, we, Clark, we forgot to mention during this podcast, um, we had told our listeners early, earlier uh, that we were going to have a very special guest uh, on our uh, That's right, on our, our last show. one. And <clears throat> we came to find out that our special guest has been, she's been uh, recovering from a bad bout of the flu bug. Yeah. And so, so she's been... Uh, She's been um, unavailable. Recuperating. Recuper well, yeah. and we hope that she's doing well. Right. We we will have some uh, a wonderful conversation with with Kathy when she comes on. We should get we should get uh, Diane back on the show and get Ian Sands and all of our other favorite yeah. tab teachers. Melissa Purdy. Yeah, we should. Oh, we should talk about uh, tab stock coming up. Yeah, tab stocks, tab stocks coming up. We don't know uh, Lisa Van Plus Sid and Candy Paul Price, um, who are going to be facilitating tab stock this summer. 
I don't know how. I mean, there's it's open to 40, 40 folks. Forty there's forty think, slots available. Right. I think there's twenty five. At least the last time I checked, there was twenty five or more that said they were going. Uh huh. Um, and it's a great it's a great professional development, especially if you're interested in tab or doing tab, to sit down around the fire and just talk. Yeah, it's 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 a um, it's a experience that's um, rejuvenating and very very uh, uh, in, inspirational. Right. At least everyone I've talked to said that it's the best professional development they've been to. It's not overly scheduled. We're very flexible in what we do it's because we'd rather you know it's meaning over anything else we want people to get the best you know what they need out of it right they what they can get out of it and right and everybody's has different needs yeah i think our friend um mr nunn is chris is christopher going to show up do you think i he said he was going so that would be awesome it'd be a coup it would be we should get him on this he could talk about his uh workshop Christopher's a, uh, he's, he's got a heck of a setup. He does. It's an amazing setup. I wanted to get out there this week to see. I want to learn how to do some laser cutting. He had his kids building a, a, a eight foot tall marble run. I saw it was, that. It was really wild. Yeah. Using gum, gum tape and cardboard, cardboard tubes. One of the smartest people I know. I mean, how many degrees does he have? Christopher is a jewel. Of, uh, of for of for Central Indiana. Oh yeah, and the work he does is so vital and important. So, we're going to wrap up this episode of Blocks Paper Sitters. Uh, just a reminder to our listeners: if you have a question or topic, send Clyde an email or send us a direct message on uh, Facebook. Facebook. Uh, this podcast is now available on Podbean and iTunes. So, if you like what you hear, please subscribe and give us a review. Only five-star reviews are accepted. Uh, Thank you all for listening to the Blocks, Paper, Scissors podcast. We'll see you next time. Goodbye. Adios. You have to let it all go, Neil. Fear, doubt, and disbelief. Free your mind.